want to help one another. Human beings are like that. We want to live by each other's happiness, not by each other's misery. We don't want to hate and despise one another. In this world, there's room for everyone. The good earth is rich and can provide for everyone. The way of life can be free and beautiful. Hello and welcome to the Temple Podcast. My name is Edward Pike and I'm here to help us remember what we truly are beneath the surface, what we truly are beyond our masks and our identities at the centre of our beings. So I'm very excited to introduce you today to Brian Bergman. So Brian is a wonderful practitioner of conscious dance, yoga and mindfulness Uh, and he's based in Cape Town in South Africa. So I I was introduced to Brian through some friends, and I've really enjoyed so far his depth, his wisdom, and his his humanity. And as you'll hear in, in the interview, he has a very deep understanding of consciousness and of the wisdom of the body, and he is very dedicated to being of service to the world that he lives in. And I'm very excited and I'm humbled and I'm grateful to be co-hosting a retreat in South Africa alongside him in April next year. So this retreat, uh, if you haven't heard of it already, is called Journey to Origins and it's designed to bring you back to your center, to your roots and to what it truly means to be human. It will be a really beautiful gathering of souls in the Cedarburg, which is a beautiful area. Uh, three hours north of Cape Town for six days of movement, meditation, contemplation, yoga, connecting with nature, sharing, spending time around the campfire, visiting the, the local sites, all and staying in a beautiful glamping camp in the middle of this area, which is pure and pristine and deeply alive and powerful. So if this is uh, of interest to you, you can find out more at www.edwardpike.net slash retreat. But first, here is Brian to tell you about his story, to tell you about his work, and to give you really a beautiful taste of what to expect, and to give you a deep understanding also of the wisdom that lies in the body. You may notice that the sound in this recording gets a little bit distorted at time, and that is due to a pretty dodgy internet connection at the time. But apart from that, it is full of wisdom. Enjoy. Hi, Brian. Good to see you. Um, yeah. um, so just to, to, to share a bit about and to introduce, I guess, the podcast, the reason why, one of the reasons why I wanted to have this conversation with you was a real sense of curiosity for what you're doing and what you're bringing to the world. So um, there was a real intuition in kind of reaching out for you to you for the retreats. And so far, you know, it's been a beautiful connection and I'm really excited for what's showing up and what's being created and being born as a result of it. And um, yeah, I really wanted to kind of put the spotlight on you for a while and to kind of dig, dig into discovering a bit more about who you are, about your story, about what you're doing, what you're bringing to the world, what you're doing in South Africa. And uh, and what you'll also bring to to the to the retreat, as a as a as a byproduct of all of that, let's say. So maybe a very broad question to start you off, like you know, what 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 is your backstory? What's led you to do the work that you do today? And and maybe you can even start by just briefly, 
kind of introducing yourself the way that you want to introduce yourself and then give us a bit of backstory about how you got there. Ah, um, sure. How do you introduce myself? Um, well, I guess I, I, I guess I'd introduce myself as just, uh, one of those, uh, sort of seeking human beings. Um, I've had a, a natural curiosity about the sort of greater mysteries that, that um, we face as humans from very, very early on in life. And it's always been the predominant driving force um, in my life. I've never really had much interest in uh, you know, pursuing materials uh, like, a, like a career or a, you know, I haven't gone down the, the sort of standard path um, that that most people seem to follow around me um, because I've had this drive inside. And um, yeah, it, it just gets more and more exciting as I get older with it as well, like just um, exploring that and, and, and discovering more and more about this this world and realizing how little it is that we know about what's going on, but feeling like always on the cusp of some great mystery. Okay. Um, and I kind of like as as I, you know, go on and have a look at what's going on in the world, see it as um, an essential piece of work that uh, human beings need to really start to cultivate more and more in, in their lives. Because it, it feels to me it's what's missing from most of our decisions and uh, decision-making around what it is that we're doing in this world. And to me, without it, it seems like we're kind of lost. Um, so yeah, it's, it's something that like certainly drives me and I get excited when I see it in other people who are following it, like, you know, on, on, and walking down those paths. Um, yeah, I, I consider myself, or I feel ordinary, you know, I feel like a, a very ordinary person. And, um, but I feel that human beings, uh, yeah, have got this tremendous potential. In, inside us and and i think like it, it's a, it would be a, it's a real sort of sadness not to explore it um mm -hmm. it would really make me very sad not to be able to um to explore that and so what excites me is, is exploring that in myself but also then switching it on in others and um you know sharing that kind of journey with others that are already walking in that direction or exploring those sorts of things and asking those kinds of questions um and are curious curious and, and not ready to just sort of sit back into the status quo um, of how we are as beings, but to, to look more, look further, look deeper. Yeah. Um, was there one specific moment that triggered all of this when you're seeking? You know, I've been asked that several times in, in life and it's, it's you, as far back as you can take it, you can always find something and be like, oh yeah, that's the definitive moment. Um, <laughs> and like I've, I've found other ways of answering that question. There were many, there, there were several moments where I was reminded of it. I guess seeds were planted all the way along childhood, um, you know, and, and, and many of those things I'd even forgotten about. And then later on, you kind of remember, oh yeah, wait a minute, it, it's, it goes back as far as that. Mm. Um but I think there's always been that sort of thirst in me that like that, that, that kind of quest. And, you know, it's, um, it took many sort of forms through childhood and through, through being a teenager and being at school and stuff, but the real kind of conscious exploration really started after leaving school and going to study, 
um, I studied veterinary science originally and um, it wasn't in studying veterinary science. It was just being a student and having a freedom away from being at home because I studied at a university that was away from my parents' place. It was the first kind of sense of being on my own and being a little bit more independent in the world and, and having time to really go, well, I'm not under the rule of the, of the folks anymore. So I'm like, well, what do I do? And I started to become curious about these things. Um, so in my student days, I was like obviously exposed or able to expose myself to, um, you know, various books and movies and having conversations with various people. And so it started kindling that like real curiosity in me. Um, and then one thing leads to another and it's all just a, a series of serendipitous experiences where the right things came at the right time. Um, you know, access to various teachings through books or through teachers or through people introducing me to various paths that just were what I was looking for at that time. Um, and over the years, that just became more and more, um, I guess, formalized in, in discovering a path, which I, I would probably say was uh, I'm eventually being put onto a yogic path or the path of yoga. But uh, a much greater sort of yogic path in what's traditionally seen in the, in the Western world. It, it was um, a style of yoga that really introduced the greater body of yogic knowledge, which for me really put a, a beautiful umbrella over everything that I had been looking at, but without any real systematic approach. Yeah. Um, and then yoga was like, that is for that, and that is to develop that, and this will help you with this bit of your and it gave me this idea or the sense of, of human being being like quite multidimensional um, in that, that we exist not just in this physical plane, but that we have an experience um, and an ability to place our awareness into several dimensions and that the yoga was giving paths for each of those dimensions. If you want to get a little bit more into this one, you know, you want to develop your heart, these are these practices, these are for your body, these are for your mind, these are for the action that you conduct in the world. Um, so I started to steer myself, uh, along that kind of path and everything else that came was sort of, you know, comfortably slotted in. Um, and because of having that kind of framing in that context, it, it gave me quite a good direction, which I then pursued and continued with, um, which led to most of what I do now. Um, most of what I do now sort of comes out of that tradition. Um, whether it was specifically in that tradition or something else that I've come across that fits into tradition because I have an understanding of where it fits um, like that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and how, how long ago was it that you discovered uh, the yogic path? Uh, so that would have been all back in 1999. Um Prior to that, I was running around like uh, I had come across the books of Carlos Castaneda. Um, yeah. In the, in the years before that, and that just like you know that blew blew my head off basically. Like I was so curious about those books because yeah, I was a guy who was like directly speaking to the mystery and like having these crazy experiences. And and the only thing I, I found difficult with the Carlos Castaneda stuff was that. I really wanted to experience the world that he was talking about and have the, the kind of experiences that he was having, but the books never really gave you method. And so you would have to find your own method. You know, yeah. you'd have to try a bit of this and a bit of that. And, and, 
And then one day I remember trying, I was doing some kind of Qigong practice and, and something else. And I was watching um, my girlfriend at the time who I'd given this book Yoga Self-Taught to, and she just started to work out of that book. And side by side, we were working and I was watching the effect that the yoga was having on her. And I could feel in the resonance of her energy that that was what I wanted. So I got her to teach me. And then, then we went traveling to India and Nepal. And that was when I really got kind of got hooked because we spent 10 days at this yoga center in Nepal where I was put onto the tradition and um, walked away from that with uh, one of the textbooks of the tradition that I eventually went back to India to study um, and then spent a year at, at this ashram doing uh, sort of diploma in yogic studies and mm -hmm. getting really deep into the tradition. Um, and then what was, I kind of was doing that as a way to escape being a vet at the time. Um, you know, I was kind of like disillusioned <laughs> by the job and I kind of was spending so many hours a day just doing this. And mm -hmm. so I was like, I had this grand plan to like go to India, learn how to be a yoga teacher and come back into the world as a yoga teacher. Mm -hmm. um, but after a year at that ashram, I came back to South Africa and very quickly realized that there's no ways I would be able to make a living as a yoga teacher. Um, certainly not, not the life that I'd become used to. And luckily while I was away in the, in the year in India, I was taught, um, how to use whatever you do, whatever job you have as a way to grow um, and as a way to, you know, deepen yourself spiritually. And, and that was directly out of the path of, of karma yoga, they call it in, in, in the yogic tradition, uh, the yoga of action, so that whatever time you spend awake, you know, you're using it as a means to cultivate mindfulness and awareness and develop yourself and, and to look at relationship to your world as, as, as means. And once I had that, I, I was, I very easily went back to veterinary science and just approached veterinary science as a yoga. Yeah. And that was how I managed to continue to be and as a, a vet basically thereafter, but also obviously pursued yoga teaching. Um, and the other thing that I got totally switched onto in India as part of this tradition, a very large component of it was, um, service, seva yoga, um, the idea that by helping others, you help yourself mm -hmm. and that it becomes a win-win situation when you do it, when you do it well, and that the world is in need of people who are serving it. Um, like there's a, a great need, um, and that you can use that as a path. And, and the teacher in India would say that this is the, the path of yoga for this century and the need of the century. And also the quickest way to God, the quickest way to self-realization is through service. And I had obviously direct experience of that in my time in India because I spent that year there and then I went back. I used to go back every year, uh, taking quite a long gap now, but for about 10 years, I'd go back for like two month periods. And there all we would do, like we'd say you go into the ashram and people would just imagine that you're sitting there meditating and doing all this yoga. <laughs> but what you were really doing was helping. Like you were just yeah. serving. And they used to serve a, a very, very impoverished and poor community in India. The ashram is located in like one of the most impoverished states um, where there are these rural people that have almost nothing. They, they have like one set of clothes for the whole family. Um, and they started to do work to uplift the, the, the villages. And so we'd go back and help and, and watch how they do it. Um, and it used to really, really fascinate me how the, you, we basically learned the difference between service and like charity. Um, how like the one is an imposition of something that you perceive to be the need and service or service is one that is born out of a real receptivity to the space, 
and to the people and to their needs first. And then understanding that looking or listening and feeling inside yourself for the response mm-hmm. that you could give to help. Um, and so I switched on to that, which I guess changed the whole game um, from being a very intellectual pursuit prior to that. It was all in my mind. I was like, it was my ego that was very curious and excited. My, my intellect was super nourished by it. And then through this experience of, of, of this of this service, it, it was the first time that I really felt my heart open. Um, you know, it just broke open. You were just like absolutely broken by the experience. Um, and uh, once that happened, it just became a, a very different game, yet like infinitely more exciting mm. and, um, and, and uh, with a lot more meaning and purpose and, and joy to it. Um, and yeah, so I just followed that. Um, and then, yeah. You were speaking about um, two things. I'm curious, to, uh, that's a question that comes to me, which is when you spoke about going back to your work as a vet, as a vet for example, from an, an, a more kind of mindful awoken space. And then, yeah. and then the, the also the, the energy or the, the consciousness of service. Were, were they the same yeah. thing or was it one and then the other? Or did they merge eventually? How what was they, it? They did uh, eventually merge, yeah. Um, so, I mean, the, the one is just handling, initially it was like handling action. It was handling like, okay, I have to work as a vet, right? So mm. then every day I go there and I see clients and I see their animals. Yeah. And these are already two opportunities, two relationships that are coming into my, my sphere that I can really pay attention to. Yeah. And learn to to not miss, and then you know follow the thing so that you do your best, and you leave you leave the results to to you know the divine or to whoever you surrender it to. Yeah. And it, it makes you work so that you can go home at night and and not feel stressed, or you can let the job go. You can rest easy, knowing that you've done your best. So if something goes wrong, it wasn't as a result of you thinking, oh, maybe I should have done it like that, or. I wasn't really there and I didn't give it my best mm. attention or, or, you know, I could have done something better. You know, those sorts of things I would come home and contemplate. It's like, okay, I'm feeling this now and it's because I deliberately, you know, didn't pay that much attention there. Next time I'm going to do it so that I don't come home feeling terrible. And um, so that was the initial refinement. But the service, once I started to come more into that, um, also started to lead me to look for that kind of interaction. Um where you listening to the need in the space and then serving that and, and, and allowing yourself slowly over time to develop more uh, faith and trust in, you know, sometimes the action is very counterintuitive. What you're hearing, what, ne- what is needed is, is not what you would think. Um, and it, it, it got me to deal a lot with that uh, idea of having to let go of always being the nice person, you know, that everyone likes me, you know, have, we all suffer from that. Everyone wants to be liked in this world. Yeah. And as a result of it, we get ourselves into no end of trouble. Um, but when service begins to like overpower that, where you know that this action is not going to be liked by many people, but it's the right thing to do. It's, it's really the right thing to do. You feel it with everything in you, then you do it. And it is because then you get the result that you would expect. Um, that shifted things. But for me, then going more deeply into service, it led me to find vet jobs that I felt more resonant with, with serving and, and, so for the last 10 years, I've worked in a, a clinic in uh, a township just outside of Cape Town called Kailicha, 
Mm. Um, and it's a very, very poor, impoverished area. And, and I love working there for many, many reasons. Um, but mostly because it keeps me, it keeps it real. Cape Town can become this real bubble where you can like live in this world of privilege and never leave it and, and feel that that's the world, you know, that this fantastic place that we all super comfortable and we all have enough. And then 10 kilometers down the road, you've got people who can can't even feed themselves, let alone their dog. Yeah. Um, it's like martial law at times. It's like, you know, all the problems that you'd expect to come out of an impoverished community and a lot of suffering. And, um, for me, it was like, you've got to, because that's the reality of 95% of South African um, and of probably of the world as well. And, you, and it's our, um, we have to, if, if, if you're someone who has, you have to be in a position where you must give, you know, and, and find ways of helping, you know, what um, I used to say, these are the load bearers of society. These are the people that allow us this lifestyle. They carry our lifestyle backs. And if you're not looking after them, you'll never be safe. You know, you can't build a have to, to protect you from it. So I would consciously start to seek out those kinds of um, places to work and to look at and almost stand on the front lines of it to see how, you know, how do you face that suffering and keep your heart? And um, so I started all of that and um, that, 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 that keeps me there at that particular job. I feel, you know, obviously you may be much more comfortable as a vet in the southern suburbs, earning probably three times what I earn there, um, you know, and working for myself. And But it, it just felt too small for me. And again, my life be oriented that way. So um, I feel much more comfortable working in Kailicha. It also gives me time to pursue other interests. Um I don't do it full because full time would just be overwhelming. Like I know that in myself that I have a capacity and I honor that capacity. Like this is as much as I can give it um, before it becomes something that actually does pull me down. Um, and then the rest of the time, I'm also able to pursue other interests. So it, I also had or was running a, a project that led me to teach yoga and meditation and mindfulness in prison. Um, that was eventually the form uh, that the yoga teaching took. <laughs> hmm. really really played with that and that was also about initially pushing a lot of edges like I was afraid of prison and afraid of those kinds of places um, and afraid of the criminals that live behind those bars and I wanted to face the fears you know and to to go into these spaces and to find the connections to find the human behind you know the perpetrator of some crime and see how someone like me who would come from a completely different socioeconomic uh, sort of educational background and, and just living in a completely different world when I still connect from, from a human perspective with another, you know, living there. And if we can connect and have that conversation, then what is that conversation? So um, I've started to explore that quite a lot. And that was, a, we ran that project for 10 years. It's kind of winding down at the moment um, as other things are, are, are moving and, and shifting, but I felt it was an incredibly successful project, but I felt incredibly fulfilled through it and, and learned so much about myself. Um, and that was the, the beauty of service again. It's like, you know, you, you, it's a win-win. You're helping others and by helping others, you help yourself. Um, it opens you up a lot more. 
Wow. So I had that going on. And then I guess the third thing in the last three years that's really come very, very strongly um, was conscious dance, hmm. which I see as a yoga path. I see it, I see it as a yoga. Um, but I, I went through like a very, very difficult period about, it's almost 10 years ago now, where a, a very long relationship kind of ended. Um, and I was separated from my partner and it, it completely at that stage, like that was the one thing that if you were going to get me, that was what was going to get me. Um, that was the one place where you could really pull the rug out from underneath <laughs> me. That was where I'd say a lot of my attachment lay was within that and, and was invested in that. So it was kind of one of those beautifully cataclysmic experiences where, you know, your life just crumbles around you and it's horrendous to go through, but I feel that it's wonderful at the same time because of the possibilities that it creates in terms of uh, going beyond um, and seeing, you know, where your capacity and your potential lies. Um, but in that time, because we were, had so closely walked together through, um, you know, she was the one who introduced me to the yoga path and we had the same teacher, the same tradition, so during that time, all of that stuff fell away for me. I, I couldn't look at a practice. I couldn't sit down and do my postures or breathe or meditate or any of it. And I'm way too good at talking to, to go to like a, a normal therapist, you know. And in that time, like I kind of felt like I needed help. I went to one psychotherapist and I talked to him around in a circle for an hour and I just paid him money for that. I was like, I'm going to just waste a lot of money doing this. <laughs> Just talk yeah, around but it. I, I was I was kind of desperate for something because I was in a very very sort of low low place, and I started to dance. I started to to do conscious dance, um, and it was the one time of the week where I could come up for air. In in all of it, I would would kind of at some point in the class, I would like, I would in this movement, I would like uh, emerge as something greater than the drama that I was in. And in that time, that that I can't tell you how that was. Literally, like if you've been like had your head pushed underwater, that was the one time where they pull your head up and you go, and then they push you back down under <laughs> the water again. But in that time, I was able to process um, and work through using the body um, the most profoundly difficult emotional and mental states. And so clever because it was bypassing thinking, it was bypassing all of that stuff that would otherwise get me stuck. Um, the, the mind was powerless. It was absolutely powerless to help me during that time. Um, and it was wonderful to see because then I've never really sort of allowed the minds. It's a perceived attempt at thinking that it's in control since then, you know, it's like, no, actually we've got so many other aspects of ourselves that really guide us. And these are the things that if we tune into our life, although it may not be any easier, at least has a lot more grace flowing in it. Mm. Um, so I, I just started dancing and I got really, really hooked on that practice. And I remember sitting in, in my kitchen during this whole thing and while it was going on and a friend of mine was, uh, had, was coming, she came to visit and she mentioned a training that was going to happen in about a year in Bali for this uh, dancing freedom. And the minute she said it, I had this incredible visceral response in my whole body just started to sing like, ah, you know, like, hey, stand up, yeah. arms and like, and I knew I was going to be on it. So I, I think I was the first person to book on that course. And um, so I did my training as a facilitator and um, came back to Cape Town and started to teach that. And that's been now five years of, of, of conscious dance, which I just 
feel at this stage is a much easier, much more easily accessible practice for many people who just don't have the time uh, or the discipline yet to to apprentice themselves to something like yoga that requires a lot more sort of daily mm. disciplined practice um, over a long period of time to 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 work, whereas dancers seem to be something that we all kind of know how to move our body. And if you can move for an hour, something's going to shift and change. Um, so I saw it as like a, a great doorway in. Um, and I was able to put just about everything I've, I've learned over the last 25 years into the dance facilitation. It's like all this comes through. So I guess at this stage, I'm like, that's like my most exciting edge as, as far as what I'm teaching so-called normal people in the world. Um, and just watching how it's having, you know, this beautiful effect. I get every, almost every day, someone tells me that it's changing their life, you know, like this dance class is saving me. And I'm like, yes, mm. of course. And what excites me more about it is that it not only, um, you know, when you've got stuff to process and when we're moving through challenges and difficulties, of course, it's going to really, really help. But when we don't have that much going on, it starts to access our creativity, and it gets that flowing as well. So beyond our need to process and work through all our shit, it's like actually here's a way of like looking at how you can create in this world. And it's in a, a practice of embodied movement. You're learning to create. And it's like, ah, it's it's gorgeous for that reason, that it has this addition. It's like not only will fix you, but it'll take you further than that as well, you know. Um, so I've been enjoying that a lot. Uh over the last few years, really, really enjoying that. And for me, like, you know, combines a lot of my passions and my loves, like movement and embodied mindful practice or meditation and music. Wow. Because music is such a powerful um, modality or tool. Uh, it's really one of those um, very high expressions of human dance and, mu and music and art. So, yeah, that's two out of the three. <laughs> <laughs> It's so nice to hear you speak and to also see how you, how much you kind of light up when you speak about it. It's yeah. like, yeah, it's, it feels so present in you. It feels so yeah, alive, yeah, very much so. In every cell, yeah. <laughs> and that, so now you run classes in Cape Town. So right, you run a weekly class, yeah. Can yeah. mm -hmm. tell us a bit yeah, more about running. those? Yeah. Mm. So for, yeah, the last five years actually, we uh, got a community of dancers that that come every week. Um, also, about a year and a half ago, or maybe even two years now, started to train other teachers who have also now, I'm, I'm watching like the first generation of those teachers begin to establish themselves as teachers yeah. as well, which is just growing the community. Yeah. So more people are being exposed to it. But um, yeah, that's been the mainstay, uh, this, this weekly conscious dance practice, which has then also allowed me the space to explore uh, deeper work with it, which is this, it's taken the form of these um, five-day retreats that I've been doing twice a year um, and super popular. Like I, I can see that there's a need because I've never really had to advertise them and they always fill up. So I was like, okay, cool. Uh, it's, it's supported by the dancers, yeah. but this idea of being able to enter into sort of like a silent five-day retreat where you mostly dance, but you also do a bit of deep relaxation, a little bit of yoga, a bit of breathing, and a little bit of meditation just to sort of um, further enhance the experience. And people are having the most incredible, incredible like realizations. And um, it's really helping a lot of people look at and move through and discover 
what their lives are about and for. Um, yeah, so that's how it's, it's, it's evolved a bit further now even than mm. just the, the drop-in classes. Um, I'm also, yeah, it's, it's just super exciting. When we first connected, I remember you told me why you did your the five-day retreats in silence. Do you want to share about that a bit? Because that was really, uh, really yeah. fascinating, yeah. <laughs> well, you see, human beings, from when we're really, really early, from when we learn to speak, actually, um, one of the things that happens with naming things and learning vocabulary is that we crystallize experiences before they're properly formed. So you look at a tree and someone tells you that's a tree. So then you know it as tree, but you never look further than that anymore mm-hmm. because now you know what it is. <laughs> yeah. So that stops you at a very, very surface level. And it's the same with a lot of experiences that we have, um, particularly metaphysical experiences, things that, are, that happen to us that we don't fully understand. Uh, they're a little bit more mysterious, a little bit more out of the usual. Um, again, human beings have a tendency to talk about them. And, and so the silence is there really as a gift so that when an experience like that begins to set off or, or kick off within you, instead of being able to speak to someone about it, which then crystallizes and stops, usually stops the experience then and there, or even um, invalidates it if the other person you tell it to just thinks you're speaking rubbish. Um, it has a it has chance to stay in the sort of like soft space. Hmm. Because you can't speak about it, you have to hold it within your body and then move it further, which allows it to go even deeper. So that ultimately these realizations become so deep within you that then when you finally do speak about them, you don't need validation from someone else that this is a very pertinent experience. The experience tends to go deeper. Um, and your insight into it, it, you're giving it time to get into your body and to be moved and to be experienced more deeply allows for a much deeper realization within yourself. So that when you finally do come out and speak about it, it's very deep in you already. And then it doesn't need validation from somewhere outside of you. Um, so, yeah, that's one of the main reasons for silence. Um, it's also very, very relaxing. And as a, as a facilitator, it makes the job very easy mm. because you don't have to talk to people on the, <laughs> on the retreat, you know? Like, so you don't have to have all these conversations which is exhausting actually a lot of the time it's really unnecessary stuff that we talk about i mean sure it's fun to have a chat but sometimes it's actually nicer just to sit with someone and be in their space and feel them mm. um and we very seldom allow that kind of experience in in this and age people are super uncomfortable in silence and yet it's where most of the magic happens huh? yeah and when your retreats happen they happen out, out in nature um, yeah, I, 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 we do a residential retreat. I've been using a venue in South Africa called Hearth and Soul, which is a permaculture farm um, in this valley with a little river that runs down the middle of the valley. And then that's, it's, it's natural sort of fanbush reserve around it. Um, so you're in a lot of nature. Um, and I kind of weave that into the retreat as well. Um, when we go on like little nature walks and, you know, after four days of being silent, you know, to other people and you walk in nature, everything's talking to you. Like, you know, you have conversations with the trees, with the birds, with the little insects and, you know, so it re- really complements the, the retreats to be in that nature. And it's, it's definitely, it's made to actually try uh, deepen your awareness of what's going on, really feeling into spaces. Um, yeah, it's very, very supportive of the process to be in that, that deep, beautiful natural spaces and out of the, like even now, after coming back from two weeks of 
being down the garden route, coming back into the city is, it's, it's a, you've got to really adjust. Like I'm finding I'm exhausted this week, like really tired just being in the city. And it's because it's busy and it's noisy and there's stuff going on, you know, like, so, which you've got to be kind of present to. And, and in a city, it's quite hard to allow your awareness to sort of space out, I guess, whereas nature just holds it better. It, it, it contains it more and yeah. gives it more space to, to dream. Yeah, I love I love that, and I was very. I, I think I've shared with a few people since our first conversation about you know why you why you do them in silence, and I it it also um, reminds me of and I think you might have shared this last time, which was silence in a way is like you know nature is silence and no words in nature. It is you know it is yeah. it's movement, it's feeling, it's image, it's imagery, it's kind of a continuous flow of intuition, yeah. but it's not with the the usual language that we're so used to in our minds is you say get kind of stuck in. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the thing that like, I think we don't really understand is um, our ability to communicate on other dimensions of our being um, where words are, 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 it's not in, it's not verbal, so to speak. It's not because um, language gives things structure, you know, and there's only within that structure, then you can speak, but that is, definitely boxing you into a specific form and Spanish might be able to be a bit more expressive than say English, which might be a little bit more able to talk about that. But then if you're getting into German, it's like this a little bit, mm-hmm. but they're all more or less the same. Mm-hmm. Um, but beyond that, there's also this language of movement, um, which I think is more universal. Like if you watch someone dancing in their authentic expression, whatever language, you know, even if you're completely different from different parts of the world, you'll have an understanding of each other, you know, and um, you'll, you'll be able to see what it is that they're moving and expressing, and it'll touch something in you that connects to that. Um, so it allows us to dialogue through body, through heart, through our other dimensions. And then when you take that out and you're silent in nature, I mean, wow, it, it opens up that um, fourth dimension, I guess, of, 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 uh, communication mm-hmm. and I, I, I think in this day and age with our technology and everything that we use to communicate we are very boxed in and uh, it's not good for our dreaming at all like um, yeah well let's just say it, it, it eliminates parts of us that it's it's sad to lose you know it's nice to have them you know and why not if they, we've got them anyway so it's kind of exciting to switch people onto that. And I really enjoy watching it happen in the retreats. Yeah. I know people, they're like four or five days of dancing like that, like, you know, start to question whether you're normal, you know, whether you actually <laughs> like, have they put something in the food? <laughs> Without any you know, long medicine or anything, just sign yeah. up. Yeah, beautiful. So how, I guess this is uh, a question for you and for us. How How do you think you're... How do you weave that into the retreat that we're going to be doing into, in, in, the, in the journey to origins? So for people that might not be as experienced dancers, for example, they might, you know, having their first taste of the work and, and leaving a city yeah. like London or someone's going from Paris, for example, you know, behind yeah. and journeying into the wilderness. How do you think you slash we will weave this into the, the experience? Yeah. 
Well, I mean, the beauty, first of all, is just being in that space. It is going to do probably more than half the work. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, like really, like just allowing yourself to get into a, 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 a wild space like that is is really, really going to be potent. Um, and then, you know, you have the experience that you have and um, it'll meet you where you are, if you know what I mean. And then it'll take you on the journey from there. So it doesn't really matter if you've never danced before, you know, and if the only thing you experience is like your body, you know, wow, I've got hands that do this or my hips are really stiff and my back is a bit sore. That already is more than you knew about yourself before. And you become a little bit more conscious and aware of those spaces in you. And then, you know, stiff hips begin to teach you something about yourself and the way you're moving in the world, you know, as you contemplate it further. So I think the retreat will kick off for people a lot of things that then continue long after the retreat is over for they'll continue to work and integrate into the person's life. And that's where you'll see the shifts and the changes. Um, but the practices, are, are, the beauty of the, the dance practices, it's like, even if you think you can't dance, it's like, just think of it as movement then. Don't mm. think of it as dancing. It's like, you're just moving this body and like exploring it. And it's such a beautiful um, springboard because we all have a body and it's the easiest thing we've got to feel. There's nothing esoteric about our body. You know, it's a very physical, tangible experience. Um, so it's a great place to start um, the journey from. And uh, that is where, you know, some people will get it there. And then as it moves and continues and unfolds over the days with everything else that we're weaving in to the retreat, I think, people will relax <laughs> on, on one level. And with that relaxation, you become receptive. Mm -hmm. And with that receptivity, you then get the opportunity to possibly touch dimensions of your being that you would otherwise be unaware of. And as a result of that, you may start to have experiences. There's, there's, there's a great chance and, and, and good possibility of having experiences that um, you know, are otherwise different to what you normally experience. And that in itself can be life-changing, um, just to, to, to know that you, you can operate from your heart, for example, rather than being stuck in thought all the time. Or that, wow, I can actually move my thoughts in my body. That, you know, this repetitive thought that I can't get out of my head looks like this when I wave my arm around, you know. And then you've got an embodiment of that thought. And then if you keep waving your arm around like that, it eventually... The other arm will join it, and then there's a dance on, you know, and, and, and that creates a shift or a change. So I think the dance will be very, very, very well and, and complement everything that, that you're going to be bringing um, and that Rob will be bringing and that the nature will have there for people. And I think that if people are courageous and, um, you know, prepared to look um, and, and to maybe face a couple of edges, Mm. Um, they will be rewarded. Mm. They will be rewarded for their efforts, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Really <laughs> and, and the ultimate result will be an expansion. You know, you'll push those edges a little bit further, and you'll have more room inside your being and inside yourself. Mm. Yeah. yeah. That would be my wish for it. Yeah. Okay. Love that. Yeah. Um, have you been to the Cedarberg? I have, I have been to the Cedarberg a long time ago. Um, it's, it's a place that I've always, I've been meaning to get, go back. And that was why I was really, really excited when you first mentioned where the retreat was. Because yeah. it's like, well, now I've got a good excuse to go back. Because um, <laughs> it, it, it is truly one of the most beautiful parts, I think, of the world. Those mountains are just 
um, spectacular. It's such a beautiful part of the country um, and you know, very special and, and relatively um, untouched. Yeah. Yeah. Can you give us a taste of the energy of the, that place? What, what's that like? Mm. Sure, I can just think of very, very big skies with a lot of stars <laughs> when I think of the Cedarberg because and there's not, <clears throat> excuse me, there's not much settlement in that area and as a result, there's not much light yeah. um, disturbance into the sky. So at night, it's just a, a billion stars out and, and shooting stars everywhere. Um, and then the scale of it is, is rather epic. Like you just feel quite dwarfed by the landscape. Um, so it's very, very humbling. You know, very, very humbling place to put yourself into. Um, yeah. Mm. It, 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 and it, it's quiet. Mm. Yeah. yeah. I feel so good. I feel moved by that. That feels really nice. Mm. Okay. Is there anything else? Something, I mean, in a moment, I'll ask you, you know, um, how people can get in contact with you and what your, what your website is. But is there anything else that you would like to share, would like to add for that? Um, well, for anyone contemplating and coming on the retreats, yeah, you, I'd be really, really excited and happy to spend that time in that space with whoever chooses to come and that everyone should feel really welcome. And um, I'd say that if you have listened to this podcast and if anything's resonated or if it's caused any kind of excitement in any cells of your body, then take that seriously. <laughs> and, and, um, if you have means come, it would be wonderful to play with you, but that's about it. Huh? Yeah. I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Me too. Um, and so your website is awakehumanbeing.com. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. And so anyone who's in Cape town or South Africa might be able to come to a class, come to a retreat, uh, through that. Yeah. They're welcome. Yeah, definitely check out the website, all the details of all the events and everything that we do. Um, and quite soon, there's also going to be an online component, actually. So even if you're not in South Africa, you'll be able to experience um, some of the work and the practices through um, something called the Awake Human Being Academy, which should launch early January next year. Great. Yeah. Great. And I saw there's also some nice playlists on the website. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I put a lot of my dances up on Mixcloud. Great. Um, also, you go to Mixcloud and go to Awake Human Being, you'll find some very fun mixes. Yeah. Great. Okay, cool. We'll do that. All right. Thanks, Brian. That was really, really awesome to get to meet you more and connect with you more. And uh, yeah. Just yeah. Like